Midwife calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we are talking about every episode of Call the Midwife one by one without spoilers. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paula Moffat, not that kind of doctor, and this week we are talking about the fourth episode of season six of Call the Midwife. This episode was written by Heidi Thomas and directed by James Larkin. We last saw James Larkin as a director last week. He directed the third episode of this season, and the last episode Heidi Thomas is credited as the writer of is the first episode of this season. She, of course, created the show and I imagine is involved in writing all the time because she's the showrunner but this is credited as her written and the last time that happened was the first episode of the season kind of makes sense this is the same director because it feels like it is leading out of last episode into this episode with sheila being still in the hospital totally let's get into the recap mature jenny narrates about our deepest desires as we see sister julianne back as head of head of Nanotis and trixie restarting keep fit Sheila is still in the hospital and meets a woman, Gloria, in the same situation as her. At Nanatus, Sister Julienne shares the news with Phyllis that they have funds for a new midwife. Trixie meets Marnie Wallace at her home and makes her late for court. She is deeply in debt after her husband has left. Sheila is not doing well in the hospital and the doctor is a bit dismissive of her. Fred talks about the grand opening for a park and asks Phyllis to take Patsy's place with the Cubs. Tom visits Marnie and her cousin Dot stops by. She brings a present and argues about money and helping Marnie, but it's not clear to us exactly what her help is. Sheila's bedmate Gloria is examined and the doctor considers a cervical stitch. Delia is in the room and demonstrates her knowledge. So the voiceover at the beginning is all about desires and uh, the specific line that I wrote down is our deepest desires are never simple, but the peace we find when they are met eclipses everything. Mm -hmm. And the central way that that plays out, we're already sort of seeing, we'll really see it come to fruition with Marnie in kind of the next two sections. Uh, But we already see like... Marnie being conflicted about what she wants or wanting things that she feels like she can't have. Mm-hmm. And that's in the her argument with Dot. Like, she wants money, but Dot's going to give her money in a way she doesn't want. So, like, she has needs and desires and they're not simple and she can't get them. She's our main mom for this, epi- for this episode. Mm-hmm. She is... Uh... It's clear right away that she's upset about things. As soon as Trixie comes in, she's like, I'm off to do something. And then spits out that like she's going to court because she's in such debt that she's being called to court. Yeah. I really like the scene at the very beginning with Dot and Marnie for the first time is I feel like a really good setup for Marnie's whole story because you have like... It's her son's birthday, but she's not getting him anything. And she's Mm -hmm. upset with Dot for bringing him things. She's uh, 
Dot comes in and is like, they asked me to be godparent, but I said no, because I don't believe in any of that stuff. And, uh, and then you have this hint at, like, Dot wants to help her, but Marnie doesn't want it. And we, at the beginning of the episode, don't know why why she wouldn't accept help from Dot. And, of course, by the end of the episode, we know that she wants to buy her baby, basically. Yeah. But, uh, so it's, a, it's quite, it's like a nice little mystery that they've set up nicely in this first part of the episode. Of, like, what is Dot and Marnie's deal? Because there's more going on than we yeah, know at this point. Exactly. I almost forgot, I don't know if I have a lot of depth to say, but I'm glad you mentioned the her son's birthday. Mm-hmm. Like, do you have any, I don't know, I just want to draw attention to it, but I don't know if I have a lot to say, but like, they, they're in such financial straits, she doesn't want to do anything for his birthday because she, she can't afford to. She doesn't want to acknowledge that the day is his birthday because he's young enough that he wouldn't know. Yes, that it's his birthday. So she's mad. I mean, we see it's not actually what the main conflict between her and Dot ends up being, but we see in like another source of like Dot comes in giving presents, preparing um giving the son I don't know, I don't remember his name. I didn't write it down to you. I want to say David, but I can't remember uh, either. Anyway, giving him <laughs> uh expectations that Marnie can't meet mm-hmm. and there's like a more I mean the the selling the baby aspect mm-hmm. of it is more pointed but it's also in terms of the theme of like desires and whether they're they're met she's upset with Dot for giving her son a present because if he knows that it's his birthday he'll have desires that she can't meet yeah exactly right speaking of our deepest desires mm-hmm. sister julianne is back in charge yes that's my finally. deepest desire on this show <laughs> <laughs> yes very happy to see her back in charge um i didn't mention it because uh, you know sometimes i watch an edited version or not it wasn't entirely in the version that i watched but uh trixie starts a her keep fit class again and is yes. not as in shape as she once was and is a little upset about it. I have little notes about that too because I also noticed that is something that is cut out of the CBC version. She uh, um, like scolds everyone for being out of shape uh, and then they're like, is that, she doesn't, they don't have the proper uh, supportive garments and then someone's like, is that why you're out of breath? She's like, no, shut no. up. <laughs> um she hasn't been exercising at all in South Africa. There's a little uh, quip about, like, did you do any exercise in South Africa? Well, I was very busy. Did you do... Phil is talking to her. Did you do any exercise on the boat? I played giant chess. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, like, it's all silliness. There's two things uh, to mention. I'm glad you brought it up. One is just more silliness, but, like, I, I just have to mention that... Uh, in that cutscene, Trixie praises Barbara for her confident bust projection. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Which is very funny. Um, but then the other thing is it's kind of plot relevant because mm-hmm. the reason she begs Marnie to let her stay and makes Marnie late is because Trixie, out of shape, doesn't want to be biking back and forth. She's all out of breath. Mm-hmm. And so it is a little tied to, like... She, if she was uh, in her usual 
shape, she would not mind biking back and forth, but mm. she's all out of breath and begs her to, like, just have pity on me and let me stay. And Marnie does not want her to stay because she is in a rush. Yeah. <laughs> Trixie wouldn't have done well with those 20-minute appointments in the previous episode because no. she is... Uh... <laughs> She's not in the biking shape that she once was. Although if she had had those 20 minute uh, appointments, she would have gotten into biking That's shape. That's what I mean. Pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. However, it's a bit, basically a bit of silliness about yeah. trick. this is Trixie back being Trixie. Do you want to, um, again on uh, Desires, there's a little minor theme of Desires playing out with Phyllis and the mm. Cubs. Um, we she does don't... not want to take on the Cubs at first. <laughs> exactly. We don't see it uh, kind of resolve yet, but <laughs> they're talking. Uh, Fred is talking about opening the recreation center. I didn't quite understand. Like, it's I thought a, it was a new park. A new park. Okay. And they're going to like have a big, they're going to try to make it as grand an opening as they can, but the mayor can't make it. So Fred is trying to make it grand on <laughs> nothing. Yep. Uh, on a wish and a prayer. And he wants the Cubs to be there, but the Cubs uh, don't have a leader since Patsy left. And so why don't you take on the Cubs, Nurse Crane? And she says, because I find small boys exasperating <laughs> and violent. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that that was a rhetorical question, Nurse Crane, but she has an answer. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> So lastly, we have Sheila still in the hospital. So this is a continuation from last episode. She went to the hospital with bleeding. She's still there this entire episode. She has right next to her. I called her her bedmate for lack of a better Yeah, they're term. not in the same bed, but they're, they're not next in the same to bed, each other. But they're right next to each other in, on the neighbor. ward. Yeah. Uh, is Gloria Venerable, I think is mm-hmm. her last name, uh, who is also having bleeding. But she's there for like her third time yeah and has and has never actually left with a baby yeah it's sad (laughs) and we have the doctor who like like all the doctors on the show who aren't patrick the doctor is condescending and Mm -hmm. like has bad bedside manner and you know uh talks about her as if she weren't there talks about her as if she weren't there talks about sheila as if she isn't there and sheila pipes up because she's like i'm a midwife and no stuff And then she talks about uh, Gloria as if she isn't there. Mm -hmm. Um, But he suggests a, like, surgery that is going to correct her problem. Like, why she keeps having miscarriages is a physical uh, issue that he thinks they can uh, correct with surgery. Mm Mm-hmm. Delia impresses the doctor, but he's condescending about it. By though she be little, she is fierce. Which <laughs> exactly. is exactly that's what exactly what I was going to draw attention to. That mm. like she, he's like, do you happen to remember the name of this? And she's like, here's the name and the other name and what it's also called and how it presents and how to treat it and <laughs> the yep. prognosis and and he's like condescending statement. <laughs> <laughs> It's like he it quotes, is. He quotes friggin' Shakespeare at her. <laughs> he quotes Shakespeare at her. Though she be but little, she is fierce. I like. I think this. These little moments of character from minor characters. Like I think in his mind, he's impressed and gives her a compliment. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> like that is a strong compliment from him in his own mind. You can see on Delia's face that she's like, "Thanks." Yeah. <laughs> um, you said. Last, I just before we, 
I meant to mention it with Marnie, but um, Marnie's on her own because her husband left. I didn't catch. Do you know, is there any more detail than he... No, other than like he left her. He left her. He's a jerk. <laughs> the other just thing to mention about her and her situation and her husband is a little detail that she doesn't have any money because she... Di- One of the reasons she has no money is because she doesn't have a bank account. And she doesn't have a bank account, she says, because her husband wouldn't give her permission. Yeah. So just I didn't want that to go by without mentioning it. That she, her husband, like, left and abandoned her. But also, even when they were together, the both her situation and also just, like, the 60s and... Yeah, it isn't like he wouldn't let her have a bank account. Like, in these days, if someone is like, you can't have a bank account, you'd have to be like, okay, I won't. It's... She can't have a bank account, and that's legal for yeah. him to just say that, and for her to then not have a bank account. Him not giving her permission is him being controlling, but it's not like he wouldn't be give me permission to brush my hair. It's mm-hmm. like, legally, I can't have one because he has to sign off on it. Yeah, exactly. So and, if just... they're, and if they're not properly divorced, he still has to. Yeah. So um, can I go to really back? mention that. Before. Yeah. One second for so the cervical stitch. Uh, mm-hmm. I wanted to just do a side note that my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, had that. Oh, really? She had. Uh, my mom comes from a family of five kids, and her youngest sibling, my grandma, had three miscarriages between the second youngest and the youngest, and had to have a surgical stitch, and that's how the youngest was born. So I was very familiar with this hmm. idea and this concept, and that's a uh, yeah. It's why I have my Aunt Anne. Wow. Sheila and Patrick cry about their worries, and later Sheila and Gloria discuss feeling their babies move. But Sheila hasn't felt hers yet. Tom helps Marnie by finding care for her children, but she's received an eviction notice. Marnie visits her cousin Dot about her offer, and it becomes clear that she wants Marnie's baby as her own, and Marnie agrees to it. Trixie and Sister Julianne discuss the potential new midwife and Sister Mary Cynthia's health and her location. Tom finds Marnie in the church and she confesses what she's done. Later, Tom shares with the nuns and midwives that he's adopted himself. Dot's husband arrives, pays Marnie's rent and provides new flooring and a mattress. Marnie goes into labor while they are there and struggles to push and needs forceps for her difficult birth. Her baby boy arrives, and Marnie insists that he goes to Dot immediately and does not hold him. Meanwhile, Timothy is upset about being shielded from the family's news, so he visits Sheila alone. Delia lets him in. Later, he comes home to have his first beer with his father, and they play darts. Marnie refuses to see her baby and does not and wants him christened first thing in the morning. Tom comes to do so, and Marnie finally holds him, having him baptized as Andrew Thomas, as Dot does not believe in God. Lastly, she gives him a hanky, and Tom tucks in with the child as he leaves with Dot and her husband, Eugene. Shall we talk about uh, the Turners first? Yes. Sheila and the ward, and Sheila and Gloria, and, and all of that... Um, In the section you just uh, recapped, not a lot progresses with that. They're bonding. Mm -hmm. They're talking about uh, 
pregnancy. Sheila has been a midwife for years, but has never been pregnant. So she knows exactly what it feels like to hear, uh, like they talk about hearing the heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And Sheila has heard many a heartbeat. The Gloria is telling her what the heartbeat sounds like. Yeah. And Sheila has heard many a heartbeat, but never her own baby. Mm -hmm. And so... They're just like little moments of them bonding. Gloria so full of hope. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in this section too, like Gloria, a little bit of, uh, am I going to get the surgery? What's happening with this? Yeah, no answers. They they don't tell her at all. There is a nurse that we haven't mentioned yet Mm -hmm. throughout this episode. I did not write down her name. Nurse Douglas. Nurse Douglas. Sister Douglas. Sister Douglas, of course, because they're called sisters. They're They're not. If they're not nuns, they're not nuns, but they're (laughs) sisters. Um who is a uh, Caribbean mm-hmm. and part of, uh, we'll talk about this in the future and call the midwife, but there was a flood of Caribbean immigration in the 60s and 70s in the UK, uh, sometimes called the Windrush generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this would be part of that. And that's kind of starting to flesh out a little bit more about the 60s in Poplar in the in in the London what what kind of people you might meet are are changing and then also i like her a lot yeah, this nurse she's so like she's so like she's the the kind of nurse we meet again and again who's like she's full of stern stuff but she's got a heart of gold and like yes yep. that's the kind of nurse that we love <laughs> it's again with like little details of uh background or side characters because she's not on screen very much but she makes a big impression i think it is uh largely the actress is great like she just has so much screen presence Mm -hmm. um but also this nurse is very uh the we saw her in the last section you recapped carrying uh, like wheeling sheila to the bathroom and sheila's like oh i wish you didn't have to do this i'm a nurse and i know it's not really part of your job and uh sister douglas is like if you don't want to use the bedpan you gotta go somewhere else don't worry yourself It'll make you worse. It's my order. Yep. <laughs> no worrying yourself. I'm taking care of it. So like, yeah. very kind of that, uh, yeah, yeah, stern kindness. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But the thing I really wanted to uh, talk about the Turners with is uh, Timothy and Dr. Turner. Mm-hmm. Um, we see a little bit of Sheila and Patrick, like, not really talking about the the problems mm-hmm. and then uh patrick comes home to timothy and uh uh angela and is all very like ho ho jovial let's all play a game what exactly does he say yeah and timothy is like you don't have to act like everything's fine and then they talk a little after Angela's in bed about like it makes sense to shield Angela maybe but you can't shield me I'm too smart and old we saw that like in the previous episode or was it the two episodes ago where Timothy knows that uh Sheila is pregnant before they tell him yeah exactly we've been seeding already that Timothy is observant and smart and uh shielding him is pointless Mm -hmm. even shielding him from good news he he's too observant and and insightful mm-hmm. um and he said he's like maybe if i could go to the pub with you i could <laughs> yeah let's talk like let's talk at the pub like men and i'm like how old are you kid uh 15 he, he's the same age as our oldest he's the same age as our <laughs> oldest um he goes and talk he goes and visits sheila because patrick gets called away uh 
to Marnie. Mm-hmm. Um, P- but Patrick gets called away and can't visit Sheila in the hospital. And pa- uh, Timothy tells Delia, my mother won't have any visitors if I don't come. But I'm not allowed in because I'm too young. So it's again like he is taking on uh, adult roles. Mm-hmm. He wants adult responsibilities. He wants adult information. And he goes and uh, Sheila and Timothy have this conversation about Patrick. She Sheila says about Patrick, he's a man. He doesn't find it easy to talk about his feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I found that conversation just so interesting between Sheila and Timothy. Mm-hmm. Because like, chronologically, Timothy is a textbook baby boomer by age. Mm. <laughs> True story. But uh, he's almost Gen X in his sensibilities. Mm -hmm. He's like, my stuffy father doesn't want to talk about his feelings, but I'm a sensitive man of the 90s. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, like... Yeah, yeah. He's like, Patrick is a man. He doesn't find it easy to talk about his feelings. Uh, Timothy wants to be a man. Mm -hmm. He's thinking of himself as a man, but he is not thinking of himself as the kind of man who doesn't find it easy to talk about his feelings. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's going to visit Sheila. Like, he, we see a uh, model of uh, the kind of man Timothy wants to be as, like, visiting his mother in the hospital and talking about their feelings together in a way that Patrick's unable to. Mm-hmm. And then Patrick brings him beer. <laughs> because <laughs> Patrick, although he is uh, uh, chronologically uh, whatever, the greatest generation... Whatever that is, that what they're called? Um, silent, maybe the silent generation. He acts like a boomer, yeah, <laughs> because he's like, let's just have a beer and play darts, stifle those feelings, Timothy. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Timothy has a beer and they play darts, and that's the like. It's a sweet moment, but it's also like, make sure you don't talk about those feelings, kid. <laughs> they do though. They, they talk do. about the feelings. They do like, talk about them. It's a catalyst them. for them talking about their feelings. It it's, is. And I like it. It's I do sweet. like it a lot, actually. What the other thing about the like talking about his feelings and worries is Sheila tells Timothy that because Patrick's a doctor, he knows everything that might go wrong, which makes it extra hard for him to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. And what Patrick tells Timothy, which I think is also true, is that like, I'm not hiding anything from you. We just don't know anything. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing to tell. And he doesn't want to talk about his worries because he doesn't want to burden Timothy and he also doesn't want to get carried away with them himself. Yeah. And he doesn't have any facts to share with Timothy because they're just waiting and waiting to see. Is this a little bit relatable in having a 15-year-old and not <laughs> wanting to share all of the Ugh. unhappy things that are going on in your life until things are a little more resolved? It's a little bit relatable to <laughs> our life and understandable that 15 year olds are not or can act like such little adults but also are emotionally not prepared to deal with all the ups and downs yeah. of life <laughs> i have i don't know if it is a good habit or a bad habit i know that our 15 year old doesn't like it but i tend to only uh tell her problems after they've been solved yeah <laughs> uh and kind of like Timothy, she wants to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. We have, uh, let's talk a little bit before we get to Marnie and the major plot of this section. 
Let's talk about the other little threads, like Phyllis taking over the Boy Scouts. <laughs> she needs a whistle. At the beginning of this section, she's picking out whistles. I love it. You didn't recap it, but she picks out, She picks the one that makes a baby cry. <laughs> <laughs> she blows it, like, so uh, how it's directed. She blows a whistle. And then she takes another one and she blows it. And then she takes another one and she blows it and a baby starts crying. And she's like, oh, that one. (laughs) 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 And then she's like so strict with the cubs and they come in for the maple. And she's like military strict and they're all like to attention. And uh, Violet is like, I don't know if uh, mixing the sexes is a good idea. And Phyllis is like, my cubs will do exactly as they're told. (laughs) And they do. <laughs> and I love her yeah. as a Cub Scout leader, as the Aquila. Yeah. Because they all, the Cubs are all, the leaders are named uh, things from the Jungle Book. So Aquila is the head wolf from the Jungle mm-hmm. Book. I don't know if you if that's common knowledge. I did not knowledge. know that, no. So that's why it's Aquila, it's all uh, Jungle Book names. When I was little, I was in Cub Scouts like for such a short time and my dad was the Aquila of course of course he did it longer with my older brother but um anyway Phyllis is great as the Aquila and I love that (laughs) um and the other minor thing that's minor in terms of time but major in terms of the story of this season is Trixie and uh Sister Julianne talk about Mary Cynthia Mm mm-hmm Absolutely. And I like that this is taking several episodes that, you know, we have Trixie introduced this in the last episode. We have them talk about it in this episode, but we don't have any resolution yet. Yep. Trixie is uh, resentful of hiring a new midwife because she feels like it's a replacement for Sister Mary Cynthia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Sister Julianne says, you know, I miss her as much as you do. Maybe more. I loved her. I love her, too. Uh and Trixie says, well, why aren't we trying to find her then? <laughs> Trixie, in the way that uh, I love, uh, Trixie can be very blunt mm-hmm. in situations like this. And we, yeah. we've seen it before. And that like, well, then why are we trying to find her? <laughs> yeah. Because she's not lost. And like, oh, no, maybe not. But I would like to know what is going on with her. Mm hmm. Trixie cares about her and does not feel confident that she is okay. Yeah. And we don't get any answers in this episode. Mm-hmm. She's being passed around from different to different locations. Mm-hmm. She's a person, not a package. She shouldn't be sent anywhere, mm-hmm. says uh, Trixie. And like... Who is right? Who is right? Yeah. The... What Sister Julianne says is because Mary Cynthia... It's illness. Because Mary Cynthia is ill, she needs a patient and the people who care for her need to decide what happens to her. And because it's a mental illness, she can't decide for herself where she's going to go and when. Mm-hmm. And like, this is an attitude towards mental illness that uh, definitely a 60s attitude and even still. And like, yeah, it's yeah. rough. It's rough. It's very rough. Speaking of rough, Marnie uh, takes up Dot's offer in this section becomes clear that it's to buy her baby or you know to adopt her baby but like to provide for her because she's adopting her baby so like 
it's a bit splitting hairs whether it's to buy or not. Yeah, I mean, like, I think she's it's very... paying her money and she's getting her baby, so that's buying in my. I think it's cynical to say she's buying the baby. Mm-hmm. I, but I also like, uh you know, she's going to give her money and get a baby in exchange. So yeah, exactly. that's what buying is. That's literally what buying is. I remember I had forgotten what this story was until it happened. And then mm. when she's like, when uh, Marnie goes to the door and is like, I've reconsidered. Have you spoken to your husband? Does he know? I was like, oh yeah, this episode. <laughs> yeah. I like, oh my goodness. Yeah. That is rough. And there's, it's so, we've seen adoption before mm-hmm. and they talk about it on the, at the, like, at tea. That, like, we see adoptions all the time mm-hmm. on this show and in this community. Yep. But it feels different. Uh, when it's basically to get out of debt. Yeah. That she's that she doesn't actually want to. She's just so, feels so desperate and destitute that she'll do anything. And I think Phyllis says most of the mothers we've seen who uh, put their children for adoption wouldn't if they felt they had a choice mm-hmm. exactly so like we're just seeing it from a different perspective this time we it's are. the yeah. because it's her cousin because mm-hmm. it's for money not just to like so i don't have to take care of this kid but also so that like you will pay me and pay my debts mm-hmm. and then also like we have the personal connection that tom was adopted himself and so he's in favor of adoption in theory mm-hmm and exactly. he's seeing it from a really different perspective yeah. now. It's kind of hard to believe that Tom, in his professional uh, position, wouldn't have seen adoptions from the inside before now. But let's just accept it. He's still pretty young. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she... Yeah, Marnie agrees to sell the baby to Dot. And they, like, from... Dot and her husband, whose name I didn't write down. Eugene. Eugene. From Dot and Eugene's perspective, they're not buying a baby. They are, like, paying to support the surrogate mother, or the, not surrogate, the uh, the donor mother, whatever that's, the birth mother. Biological mother, yeah, birth mother. (laughs) They're paying to support the birth mother for, like, the health and happiness of their, the baby, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think they think of it as, as mercenary as... Marnie does. Mm-hmm. And they are like, you could help name the baby, you can be connected. And Marnie, as we saw with Don't Give My Son Presents, Don't Give Me Presents. Mm-hmm. Like, don't, uh, I don't want anything to do with this baby if I can't actually raise it. Yeah, exactly. It's the, the exact same attitude playing out in different, with different stakes mm-hmm. of like, all or nothing all or nothing i don't want to see it i don't want to be involved in naming it i don't want anything and she is she has a difficult birth i don't know that there's much more to say about that except that patrick bracing his foot against the bed as he pulls the baby out with forceps looks rough yeah and Uh, uh it is a tied into, as we talk about on this show, the holistic health mm-hmm. is her emotional state and her giving birth does 
is a result of her emotional like her difficult birth is a result of her emotional state and like it's not it's not magic that she doesn't want to give birth therefore yeah she struggles to it but it can affect uh a birth if there's if the mother is in a bad emotional state there's whole theories uh about like the emotional state of the mother having an effect on all kinds of things but including the speed of the birth the speed and ease of the birth and there's Mm -hmm. whole theories that uh you know you will know from the inside a lot more than i will but Mm -hmm. of um is it uh, anime gardener who's like if if the mother is really relaxed and happy then birth isn't painful at all um not quite but yeah but there are people who say that yeah it was not her but like uh there's all these theories that uh well it comes from like if a deer is giving birth in the wild and suddenly a predator comes upon it it will not it will be able to not give birth and run away and so it's like there's an instinct uh, like a primal not primal like a uh bodily instinct Mm -hmm to not give birth if you're in danger and so the fear response in women and the and the emotional response can result in difficult births yes i always like caution to say this because like we never want to blame women yes or blame someone for how their body reacts so like women who've like ended up having to have a c-section because their body wasn't dilating or anything like that that is certainly not you weren't relaxed enough to yeah. have your baby like they're all tons and tons of different factors and like bodily things that can happen i feel but, like Sorry, but, a, but an emotional state can affect uh your body i feel like we're kind of um acknowledging that implicitly in the episode with Gloria's story, by the way. Yes. That, like, we have Gloria as a counterpoint to... It's not Gloria's emotional state. It's the shape of her cervix. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. But whether it's Marnie's medically, whether it's her emotional state or not, symbolically in the story, she doesn't want to let go of the baby. Yeah, exactly. And so, like... Whether that's medical, if she was a real person or not, in the story, certainly it's symbolic yeah. that her her body is holding on to the baby mm-hmm. because she does not want to let go of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, and she tries. She tries to <sighs> not not hold it, not look at him or anything until she wants him christened because mm-hmm. Dot will not be christening the baby because dot is an atheist and marnie isn't mm-hmm. and she believes then that christening the baby is important for his eternal soul yeah and she doesn't want to she isn't going to feed him milk uh she isn't going to uh give him kind of uh immediate physical She's not going to hold him if she can help it. She actually does hold him during the christening. She does, yeah. And that does but until does. the christening, she won't hold him. She won't look at him. She's not going to feed him milk because that's like, what exactly is the line she says? But it's something like, don't start something we can't finish or something yeah. like that. Um, but she can't uh, accept that the baby won't be christened. Mm-hmm. That there's eternal consequences for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when she's having him christened, she has to, not has to, 
but like the the sister Winifred asks him sister Winifred asks if she'll hold her and say it's usual, and so she does hold him, and Dot wants to name him Andrew and has offered Marnie the opportunity to help name him, and Marnie says no, but then in the moment of christening, she names him Tom as his middle name after, yeah, after Tom. Tom. I mean Thomas, but Tom. Thomas. Yeah. I'm I, I'm sure Tom is Thomas. Yeah. I also laugh at like she names him Andrew after Prince Andrew, and I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> I know. I have that written in my notes too. They named the baby Andrew like Prince Andrew, which is a bad person to be named after. But I guess they didn't know that then. They certainly didn't. <laughs> um, oh, I don't think he's named after Prince Andrew. It's like Prince Andrew. It's just yeah. a name yeah. that they like. <laughs> but like, yeah, problematic person to be named after. Yep. Oh. Okay, let's move on to the next yep. and last section here. So Gloria goes into labor without having her surgery and delivers a stillborn baby. She wants to see her baby, but it isn't allowed. Tom struggles afterwards with what he has seen and what it means for his own birth mother. We see Dot and Eugene happy with baby Andrew and Marnie back with just her own children as she recovers. Tom delivers her old pram to Fred and the Cubs. Sister Monica Joan opens the door to several potential midwives, but with no luck. (laughs) Phyllis talks about how they need a woman who won't shrink away at the East End, and Sister Julianne remembers Valerie Dyer. She asks her to apply to be a new, new midwife, and she immediately accepts. Eugene and Dot approach Tom to help with making the adoption formal, so Marnie cannot change her mind. But faced with that decision, Marnie does change her mind and asks Dot for the baby back. Patrick arrives to see Sheila and listen to their baby's heartbeat for the first time. They each get to listen and cry together. Gloria, meanwhile, packs up and leaves. Eugene brings all of Andrew's baby things to Marnie, and Tom discusses an adoption agency with him. Valerie is hired as the new midwife, and mature Jenny narrates as we see the opening of Poplar's new park with Phyllis as the head of the Cubs and the Turners come home from the hospital. So where do you want to start? Oof. Okay, let's let's, uh, let's not start with Marnie. Let's save her to the end. Uh, Gloria. Oh. Let's start with the light story. Let's start with Gloria. not light story, but like, let's just finish up with Gloria delivers a stillborn baby she doesn't get the surgery they say she's gonna get it and she doesn't get it in time she's supposed to have it the next like morning right she she finds blood in her bed and she's like but i was gonna have the surgery tomorrow like tomorrow morning or later today it's like she has she is uh just this through the whole episode she is this like shimmering bundle of hope Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm glad what you said about her having hope and not getting her baby and Marnie having no hope and getting hers. Because I did question, like, why did you introduce this other character as a counterpoint to Sheila just to have her, like, have all this hope and then lose her baby and doesn't even get the surgery they talk about? Like, it was so heartbreaking and why was she included? But I see her now, as you say, she's a counterpoint to Marnie. She is the opposite of her, and she also now um, 
has the language to ask for if she gets pregnant again. Yes. She has the language to ask for that cervical stitch early. Yeah. And to not take no for an answer. Yeah. Potentially. Her story ends with, as you said, uh, Sheila and Patrick listening to the heartbeat while she packs up. Mm. But she, her last thing she says to Sheila, uh, I've got this idea in my head that next year or the year after, it'll be a lovely sunny day and I'll be down at Crisp Street Market pushing a pram. And somewhere near the flower stall, I'll look up and see you pushing a pram. Mm -hmm. And we'll smile and we'll pass the time of day. Yeah. And she, after this, like, she is so devastated. Oh, and they don't let her see. This is a thing that happened so much up until quite recently, to be honest, of not allowing women to see their stillborn babies and, and i think it's... the recent recently it has really come like psychologically it's better to see and to have a chance to say goodbye even if it doesn't look nice and isn't yeah and it's another counterpoint i mean a clear counterpoint to point to marnie whose baby who doesn't want to see the baby that's yeah. there and uh gloria wants to see the baby that uh she can't she isn't allowed to mm -hmm. and uh sister douglas who we like who i like so much uh says you know it's better mm -hmm. believe me just just trust me i know you want to but it's better not to and yeah. she has the attitude of marnie yeah that and that really was the belief don't back then don't reach for things you can't have mm -hmm. is the attitude behind it the same as marnie's why she doesn't want to see her baby that's put in the perspective of sister douglas who also though um who also says to uh gloria you can cry if you want to there will be better days than this mm -hmm. after being like so crushed by her hopes being crushed for the third time uh she ends with like building up her hope again mm -hmm. we'll see each other in the flower market there will be better days than this i really hope so for her because it was awful <laughs> um do you want to talk about the montage of nurse yes midwives? let's move on to something much happier which is sister monica joan having to open the door for all of these midwives and like like half a second for each of them yeah. and somehow that like it shows that they're not acceptable for Nanatis. like one is smoking like Trixie smokes I know but <laughs> like, not like that not like that and one is scowling and one and lots of them are like obviously too flighty and like the one's just... like showing off her pearls during the interview and yeah. we are meant to be like oh unsuitable it's just so funny how like as if Trixie was any different than some of these people at first, or as if, like, even Jenny had no idea what she was getting into. And and they talk awesome. about, and, like, and, Sister Julianne talks to Phyllis about that, that, like, all our midwives are fish out of water yeah. or uh, out to sea. And Phyllis says, yeah, but all the more reason why they need to be ready. Yeah, exactly. Um, Phil, the two things that like here's all the list of candidates are there any that we can dismiss without even seeing them and phil is like well this one's a man so <laughs> no male midwives do not exist <laughs> um in like just to what phyllis says 
to make it really clear is it is there is clearly a like out of hand prejudice um but also not a prejudice it's also like uh they're not allowed to be midwives so like we can't hire a man no matter how skilled he is because he cannot practice as a midwife it's not allowed yeah and can't live in the nunnery yeah that's just there's all kinds of practical things but the specifically he can't be licensed as a midwife, no matter how good a nurse he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she also, as bad as a man, is an American. <laughs> no explanation for why that would be. No, no. <laughs> Just, no. it's obvious. It doesn't need explained, but that is obvious. I love, uh, it is even, to Phyllis, it is even more obvious that you can't have an American than it is that you can't have a man. Yeah. Having a man, has, there's like, well, here's why. <laughs> but having an American... Obviously. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then the, all the unacceptable nurse midwife candidates uh, is a funny little montage. Um, and But it uh, Phyllis makes it about class. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think appropriately. Yeah. Like... Nursing, what she says is, nursing treats young working class girls the way the world treats women. Mm-hmm. They're all over them when there's a war on. Afterwards, nobody wants to know. Yep. Which is something we've heard from Phyllis before. During the war, they gave us freedoms and then it's back in your box. Yep, exactly. And don't say boo. Yeah. And... Um, and so that immediately, of course, makes Sister Julianne think of Val, who was the nurse who helped Sheila during that explosion a couple of episodes ago and when we were recording that episode you and i knew that val was coming back and was going to be a new midwife but we had to pretend we didn't know that was kind of fun yeah (laughs) and also like of course "Ah, Val." (laughs) of course we remembered her when we saw her in that episode a couple of episodes ago and we're glad to see her and it's um not being english like I'm intellectually aware of like the whole accent thing yeah. and the, and class and whatever, but I had not I had not really noticed or I it had gone to the back of my mind instead of the front until Phyllis puts it in the front again that all the nuns and midwives are except Sister Evangelina who's gone are upper middle or upper class yeah and they were in a working class neighborhood mm-hmm. and. So, like, all the ones we already have have posh accents. Yeah. And, like, uh, we talked about it a little bit last episode that Barbara is from the same place that, uh, um, what's her name? Oh, Chen. Lucy? Lu- yeah. I think it was Lucy Chen. Anyway, they're from the same place and should have the same accent, but Barbara has a posher accent. Yeah. Uh, why their accents aren't the same is because Barbara is higher class. Yep. Um, but Val has a is from Poplar and has yep. a Poplar accent. She sounds like Fred. She sounds like Fred, and that's why she was she doesn't get the midwife uh, journal or whatever it is that they advertised in, uh, because she's not actively looking for midwifing because midwives and nurses are upper class. Yeah. And we don't quite spell out that Val hasn't been looking because she has assumed that there isn't work for her. But Phyllis basically does. Mm-hmm. That, like, Val wouldn't have been looking because nursing treats young working class girls like 
Yeah. The world treats women. Yeah. Uh, and Val goes in and she interviews and uh, Sister Julianne is like, I'm putting you on the spot. And Val's like, no, I'm going to apply today. Yeah, I love that too. That Val was just like, I, yeah, I accept. I will take it. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> like no thought whatsoever. I love that was great. And to have, um, of course, you know, clearly she's been hired as the new midwife. So we can say without spoilers that like, it's really nice to have someone who's from Poplar who is delivered like by sister Evangelina or something like I can't remember who she said delivered her but yeah. she said like we thought that you were bringing the babies in the bag in the first in the first time we meet her so she's so familiar with Nanatis and and gets to be then a midwife with them and, it is so exciting oh, for it's her exciting. It's, exciting for for, us. it's exciting for us it's exciting for Nanatis to have yes someone there that is one of their own as kind of and she isn't in personality, but as a replacement for Sister Evangelina in that yes. way. Yes. And we've had so many, like when a new, we've had, not so many, we've had twice. A new young nurse comes in and it's Jenny and then it's Barbara. And they're both like wide-eyed and fish, uh, out of water. <laughs> fish out of water and shell-shocked by the conditions of the uh, East End. Mm-hmm. And... Val is, like, not used to being a midwife, maybe, uh, but she's not at all shocked by the conditions of the East End, because that's where she grew up. Yep, exactly. Oh, and there's a little bit, too, before we leave Val, that in her interview, Sister Julianne asks, why did you leave the army and nursing? And Val gives the best possible answer for Sister Julianne to be impressed. (laughs) But she says, there's, uh, uh... How exactly does he put it? But there was too much, um, like, dealing with people and not enough caring. Mm-hmm. People came through, came out. We, I wasn't really connecting with anyone, and it, I wasn't really caring for anyone. And nursing was just, like, uh, checking boxes and cleaning people, but not really caring for the people. Mm-hmm. So she's like, I wanted something. I didn't, wasn't happy with something that wasn't a holistic approach to care. <laughs> And so Julianne is like, you're hired, start right now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, All right, let's, so let's, let's finish up the Marnie story. Yeah. It's <sighs> rough. It is extremely rough. I mean, there's not a lot, honestly. We didn't want to talk about it because it's emotional. Yeah. But there's not a lot to it. Yeah. She decides to take the baby back. Yeah. She, uh... They There's... ask for a form. They, I think they catch on to like yeah. the unhappiness with the whole situation. And so they think, you know, well, let's make this adoption formal so that she can't take it back. And then as soon as they try to do that, she's like, no, I do want the baby back. I do want my son. And there's practical things that I'm gl- we don't get to. And I'm glad we don't that like, I guess the Dot and Eugene are just out the money for the floor and... <laughs> mattress um and the the debt and the debt there was a a line early on that i didn't pay didn't draw attention to and i will now which is that uh he the eugene comes and writes the check to her landlord and is like he was our landlord and he was terrible and it gives me some pleasure to write with like my gold pen or whatever he has write the check and marnie is just like yeah that's great like he they're so well-meaning. Dot and Eugene yeah. are very well-meaning, but, like, just oblivious to her actual trouble. Like, I just feel like they're, like, he's happy to be doing this. He's, like, you know, commenting about this. And it's it's a 
not a bad comment, but it's really like just just blind, like not because the subtext yeah. is I. It is so satisfying not to be in the situation where I'm under the power of this man who you are still under the power of. Exactly, exactly. So, like, I can come back and show, rub my success in his face. You are where I was before I had got to come back. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, they're so well-meaning. They're so, uh, I don't see, they are very upset to give Andrew back. Yes. Uh, But I don't see any, like, resentment or bitterness, actually, about the money. No, which is weird to me. But I think it's, like, they're sincere and generous. And I don't think, like, Marn, it was, but I think Dot and Eugene both just framed it within their heads, not as a quid pro quo strings attached, but as a like, you're generous and I'm generous and we're family and I want to support you because you're the mother of the baby I'm adopting. And it's not like they don't think of it as I'll pay you this money for the baby. Mm -hmm. They think of it as you're having a baby that we're going to uh, care for and you can have anything we want and we'll help you in every way we can. And when she takes the baby back, they're heartbroken but that money wasn't with strings attached, actually, in their minds. But it must have been because they wouldn't give the money without the baby yeah. to begin with. Yeah. I, I do. I agree with you. That's what the show says to us. I feel like I'm calling bullcrap on this a little bit. That they wouldn't. They're like. That she's like, okay now. That she can have. She can now have her three kids. Yes. And not still go into debt and end up in the exact same situation she was in six months from now. That I absolutely do think is like... They make it seem like, oh, yay, it's all solved. And like, it's not solved. Super not. The the position that the problems that put her in this position in the first place, none of them are solved at all. Yeah. Except an immediate stay of execution because her debts are paid for now, but they're just going to get back because she doesn't even have a bank account. Though I suppose the whole thing at the very beginning was uh, you didn't ask for help for any from anyone and we're here to help you now. And so like Tom is stepping in to help and he's not going to stop that. He finds the yes. kids care that she wasn't finding and stuff That's like that. True. So there is that. Um, uh, speaking of Tom. Yes, exactly. What, are you, what were you going to oh, say? Just that Tom is working out his feelings on being adopted and it like it literally hadn't occurred to him that there was like that his birth mother would have felt this way he was just kind of like i was raised by my adoptive parents who were loving and generous and i now get to and like i had new parents and it was fine i and she didn't want me and now it's realizing that oh maybe Maybe i had a birth mother who actually wanted me and and he's not, yeah. re- like, his, she didn't want me and that isn't heartbreaking or, and I'm not resentful and I don't feel unwanted because someone did want me. But mm-hmm. the, the position of, like, she wanted me and was devastated to give me up has never occurred to him. Yeah, exactly. He specifically says, there are no photographs of me as a child. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I minded. But now suddenly I find that I do. Yeah. And he just, like... I really like all this that he thinks of himself differently. Mm-hmm. 
And then the end of this little story is him talking to Eugene about, like, Eugene says, I maybe caused all of this myself because I said I didn't want a stranger's baby. Yeah. And he does like, he doesn't actually uh, explicitly put into words, but he all does, all but does, like, now I want any baby. Mm-hmm. And Tom says, well, let's, when, when there's been a little time and you're not so heartbroken... Let's go through, uh, you know, I'll, I'll help you find the papers and you mm-hmm. can go through an adoption process, which also is like, it's partly uh, Eugene and Dot, but Eugene is the person we see as like, I now want a baby no matter who it is. Yeah. Um, and also we end the whole story with Tom thinking differently about his childhood, there are mo- no photographs of me, I didn't think I minded, and then he ends with, like, let's make an adoption happen again. Yeah, exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, like, Marnie takes the baby back, but we are ending the uh, episode firmly on pro-adoption. Yes. <laughs> True story. Uh, um, the last, the last little, like, vignette at the end is all the oh yeah which her jenny narrating over everything and phyllis is the head of the cubs and <laughs> we had we didn't talk about it but like andrew i mean uh eugene gives um fred the pram because fred has arranged like a pram derby yes uh to kick as part of the festivities yeah tom gives him the pram oh tom eugene. gives him the pram yeah uh so and then so that's like ties it all in and we see that uh opening ceremonies and phyllis as the head of the cubs being the best um yeah did we have any doubt phyllis could no head up the cubs <laughs> she's perfect for it exactly she is the least nonsense of any no-nonsense person we've seen yeah. there's a lot of no-nonsense people on this show <laughs> phyllis is maybe the least nonsense true story so, uh, bringing it to an end, what was your favorite part of this episode? Oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm gonna go uh, silliness and say my favorite part is Phyllis as the head of the Cubs. Particularly the moment of her... Like, all of it I really enjoy. The two... If I have to pick, the, it's a toss-up between the, like, why don't you take over... Because I don't like boys. <laughs> yeah. And her choosing the whistle that makes a baby cry. I think that's my favorite part, is her choosing a b- whistle that makes a baby, baby cry. <laughs> what is your favorite part? Um, maybe I'll go with more the more... Okay, Valerie Dyer being hired. Yes. I think that is the moment where just... I think the actual moment is Sister Julienne kind of getting a look on her face of like, oh, I know who to go and get. Mm-hmm. Is like, yay! <laughs> and maybe that's a little bit cheating because I'm excited for the future with Valerie, but whatever. <laughs> I don't remember, like, tell us if you are watching this for the first time, because I don't remember my experience watching it for the first time. So if you're watching it for the first time, did you think of Val when Sister Julianne did? Yeah, that's true. Because we thought of Val because we already knew about her. Yeah. But I don't remember if the first time she is... Like, we really, uh, she is thrust into the spotlight early in the season. Mm-hmm. So tell us if you thought of Val, or if you didn't. And how uh, would you do that? You can do that on Discord. We have a Discord channel that you will find a link to in the show notes. 
You can email us, poplar at clockworksacademy.com. You can find us on social media as Poplar Opinion. I think, I don't know if we have Instagram. We do. I just haven't posted anything. Okay. <laughs> so, but if you post to us, we'll see it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and if you like this show and the things that we do and you want to support us and help us to continue doing them, we would be very, very grateful. And you can do that through Patreon at patreon.com slash clockworkscast. And there's a link to that as well in the show notes. Thank you so very much for joining us. I have been Dr. Paul Moffat. And I'm Jan Moffat. And that's just my popular opinion. <laughs> <laughs>